John 17, verse 1, and I'll be reading through the 11th verse. Hear ye the word of the Lord. After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come to glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ who you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. I have made your name known to those who have gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. From the words that you gave me, I have given to them. And they have received them, and know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am asking on their behalf. I'm not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and Father, and I am coming to you, Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. God's word for God's people and God's people said amen. amen. For the the time that is ours to share together, I want to talk about living victoriously. Living victoriously. Uh, this particular passage of scripture that I read is often called the high priestly prayer. Some other theologians call it the farewell discourse. Uh, the original the, 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 the three synoptic gospels sort of tell a story but uh, a lot of theologians, seminarians, seminary professors, whatever have you kind of take a, take a liking to John because it's divided up into nice little uh, parts that you can divide and, and test your students over regularly uh, is divided. In, you can divide it into two books. They call it the Book of Signs and the Book of Glory. Everything up to about chapter eleven is when Jesus performs the signs, and everything from chapter eleven to his completion is him, his glory. You can divide it up pretty easily. He only performs seven signs in the Gospel according to John, and in the other Gospels they're miracles, but in the Gospel according to John they are signs. What does a sign do? A sign points you in the right direction and so the seven signs that they put in the gospel according to John are trying to point us in the right direction the first sign in John chapter 2 is uh, the wedding at Cana turning the water into wine and John chapter 4 the next sign he heals the noble man's son chapter 5 he heals the lame man in Jerusalem chapter 6 he feeds the 5,000 on two fish and five loaves of bread in chapter 6, he also walks on water. And then the sixth sign, he heals a man born blind. And the seventh and final sign, he raises Lazarus from the dead. You also have different discourses where Jesus gives his opinion on certain things. And he talks about his early Judean ministry and he 
when he meets with uh, Nicodemus talking about a man being born again. And then he meets with the Samaritan woman at the well and tells him that he's the living water. And he talks about the father and the son in John 5. That's the third discourse in uh, the, sex, the, the sixth or the fourth discourse, rather, in John chapter 6 is where he tells that he's the bread of life. The fifth is the Feast of Tabernacles and him being the spirit. And the sixth discourse is in John chapter 8 where he says, I am the light of the world. And the seventh discourse is Jesus as the good shepherd. And that's around John chapter 10. It divides up very nicely in different areas. So when you want to punish seminary students, you can do so very easily by asking them, well, how many discourses did John have? And what's the book of signs? What's the book of glory? And it sticks with you. Gospel according to John. I said it many times before I had a seminary professor that was very partial to John. But uh, John chapter 14 through 17 is called the farewell discourse. Jesus is preparing to do what he has to do, so he's getting everything in order and saying farewell. And this farewell discourse is given, and this prayer as a part of the farewell discourse, which actually goes all the way to uh, verse 25, but I only read through 11 in your hearing. Jesus gives this prayer to 11 disciples after the Passover meal, or as we refer to it as Christians, as the Last Supper. It's a passing of baton of sorts. You know, in the relay race, the only person with the baton is the one we watch, and they pass it for the next person to run. Jesus has basically said, I've run my part. It's time for you to go. He knows what he has to do. So Jesus is preparing himself and the disciples, not only for what's to come, but what they have to do after what's to come. Now, when I was uh, studying this passage, uh, I thought it was going to be super complicated, and I got a little worried about how exactly I was supposed to prepare for it. I'm a lectionary preacher, so every three years, what I'm going to preach is already spelled out. I just have to pick which one of four scriptures I want to read, and do the sermon on it. I was like, oh, okay, well, this one's on John. And uh, after the severe, uh, intense lectures I had on John from my professor, I was wondering, you know, how could I preach this? And I thought I was going to have to take just a little piece here or a little piece there and go from there. But when I started really studying it, it's not that complicated. The main point of this, this prayer is real simple. Eternal life is to know God and to know Jesus Christ. That was the punchline of his prayer right there in verse 3. Know God, know Jesus, you will know eternal life. I mean, that's what we're here for, right? I mean, that's why we're meeting here on Sundays right now, right? Because once we get here, once we get past the tradition, uh, once we get past maybe make our parents making us come, that's why we come here for our, because we know that we want there to be more than what we're doing right now. More than that 
70 to 100 years if we're real strong. We don't want that to be the end. We want there to be more. So that's why we're here. And that's what Jesus has given us in this prayer, the answer. He's given us the answer. No Jesus, no God. You will have eternal life. And because he knows the answer already, he's operating like he already has the victory. I know a little something about that. Um, because the way you, when you operate like you've already gotten the victory, you carry yourself a little differently. Your chin's up a little higher. You can meet people and look them in the eyes when you already know. Uh, I was watching the playoffs and uh, I was watching the Indiana Pacers get demolished by the Miami Heat. And with all these HDTVs and cameras everywhere, you can see facial expressions. You can see in the Indiana Pacers' eyes defeat when the game started. There was one or two players, primarily David Hill, who was who came to play, but the rest of them, whenever they showed a close-up in their eyes, you could see defeat. But when you looked at the Miami Heat, it was determination. They were playing like they had already won. And Jesus is praying this prayer like he already won. This is not the prayer in the garden that he's praying right now. The one that they make the pictures of, of him clutching a rock in the garden by himself in the sun, uh, in a ray of light shining on him. And he's clutching the rock hard enough to break it. Nope. This is a prayer of victory right here. And he's not praying it by himself. He's praying it where the disciples can hear it. It's always different when there's an audience around. You may be able to do something when you're by yourself. You may be able to sing very well. You may be able to play very well. But it's different when there's an audience. Uh, one of my favorite producers uh, by the name of Leon Lewis, uh, when I started taking piano lessons, uh, one day he walked up on me practicing. He's like, well, come play. I want to hear you play. And so I played, and he said, because he does this for a living, it's obvious you know the music, but I can tell inside your head you're freaking out. Now, I didn't play like that when I was by myself. But when somebody who makes a living going all over the world producing music is in front of me, you get a little nervous on the keys. But here, Jesus is being able to pray in front of an audience. He prays for the glory in the first uh, verses. And he, first eight verses, and he prays that people know God. And the word that they use for know in the Greek is, is parallel to the one that's used in Hebrew when they say that Adam knew Eve and that you know God. This is an intimate know. This is not just a somebody you ran across from the street door. This is a developing relationship you know that person intimately to be in relationship with him develop a part of develop a relationship with God and intimately know him the next part he intercedes for the disciples 
praying for them because he was going to the Father and they still had work to do on earth. But again, even though he's leaving them, he's not praying with defeat. He's praying from a position of victory. I am a fan of games. Uh, Sports games, card games, dominoes. I'm a fan of games, but primarily I am a fan of video games. I spend... Not as much lately, but I used to spend a lot of time playing video games ever since I was a child. And I am still a fan of those games, particularly the ones from the 80s and the 90s, the early 90s, for the home console systems. Something that I learned about these games is that they are expensive to make. You have a whole team of computer programmers and software specialists and hardware and electrical engineers and testers and business analysts and everybody comes together and works to make this game for almost a year. And they spend millions of dollars, sometimes more than a year. And that's why they cost so much. That's why the hardware systems cost so much. That's why the games cost so much. I know when I would get a a video game system for Christmas, That was pretty much all I got for Christmas because they cost a lot. And the games will cost as much as well, sometimes as much as $60. And in order for you these days to feel like that game is worth the 60 to sometimes even more that you paid for it, they make the game long. It can take anywhere from 40 to 60 hours to beat if you play from start to finish. But back in the 80s and the 90s, when games were just now getting popular, they didn't have enough disk space to make an 80-hour game. So what they did in order to make you feel like you got some bang for your buck is they made the game hard. You couldn't just pick the game up and beat it. It was real hard. Pac-Man looked simple, But it's pretty hard. All these games look simple, but they're hard. And so I would try to spend entire weekends, and when school was out, a great deal of my summer, trying to figure out how to beat some of these games. I got really good at some video games, and then at others, not so much. I recently come across some professional video game players. These people make a career out of playing video games and I thought about it and it, and it, and it, and it seemed and, and they make six figure careers and get sponsored and fly all over the world and all of these things but they are the best of the best you know there's millions of people playing these games and these people are the best of the best and, and among these professional gamers there are people who do what's called a speed run And they've made a career out of playing these games better than everywhere else. And they specialize on beating the game the fastest way possible. So, I actually put one of them on my Facebook page and tagged my brother in it. Because we spent lots of time trying to play this game. The game that would take us a whole weekend just to get halfway through. I saw a video 
of somebody run through this game from start to finish in 13 minutes. And when I say the whole weekend, I mean literally the whole weekend. I would get dropped off at my father and my stepmother's house on Friday night. We would play that game. We only came out of the room for food and restroom. And that was it. Jessica can tell you, we did not move. We were going to beat this game. Never left the bedroom. Just in front of the TV, taking turns, trying to beat this game. Could barely get halfway through it. 13 minutes. Start to finish. And talking about what he's doing, as simple as making a sandwich. So yeah, I'm going to beat this man here, and I'm going to jump over this ledge and destroy this, and here comes this bad guy, okay? So after... Uh, I, I, I got a little composure I started watching a little bit more and they would raise uh, money for charity so they would do a marathon these professional gamers they do a marathon and they say okay we're going to play games all week we're going to rent out a hotel a convention center we're going to play these games all week and people will call in and say okay I'm going to donate a thousand dollars to autism research if you can beat this game without losing a man I'm going to donate $2,000 to infant mortality or trying to get rid of SIDS or something like that if you can beat this game in 10 minutes. And they'll do it. And they'll raise millions of dollars for this. And so after, uh, after I gained my composure of watching my entire childhood video game skills being reduced to, to nothing, I actually said, well, let me watch and see what they do. And I noticed that they don't play the game the same way I play it. Their whole way of thinking about the game was different than the way I thought about the game. And I thought, there's a sermon in there. And there was. They don't think like I think. So they do not conform to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of their mind. They renewed their mind, and we ought to renew our mind. So first off, they prepare. And sometimes they prepare so much that they know the game better than the people that programmed it. They study. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The word that they use for study has other translations. Uh, one translation says, Be diligent. Another one says, do your best. The Message Bible even says, concentrate. The fact is, if you want to be victorious at anything, be it video games, business, this life, you have to prepare. One of the things that Leon Lewis, again, my favorite producer, told me uh, when I'd watch him work on some of his live album recordings is, he said, I'm not the best player. I'm not the best musician. I'm not the most creative. I'm not the smartest. Uh, but you will never, ever out-prepare me. He prepares. When he's, when he's ready to do a project, he spends time preparing. Even when the rest of the band is going to sleep, he's still working on it. It's to the point that he works on it in his sleep. Uh, to give you a little bit of uh, how some of the live recordings go, uh, usually a producer comes in and 
brings in a band and brings in the people to sing and whatnot, and they spend a week all day and all night rehearsing these songs. If the recording's going to be on Saturday from Sunday afternoon until that Saturday, they spend all that time rehearsing so they can get it right because it's a live recording and they don't want to spend that much money trying to fix up what they messed up. And they record it. They record the rehearsals and they listen to the rehearsals and then they go back and rehearse some more and listen to those rehearsals and they go back and rehearse some more and listen to those rehearsals and they literally play these things all day. And I say that I know that he prepares in his sleep because during one of those times we were listening to some music in between rehearsals he was sitting on the chair sleep and they got to a certain part and he said in his sleep we gonna need to clean up the rest of that part right there and went back to sleep preparation if you want to be victorious you've got to prepare we ought to spend time studying whatever it is we want to do but we especially need to study God's word. Something else I noticed about these speed runners. They don't stop when the enemy comes. Nor do they fight every enemy. I would watch them go through stages and they would walk right past the bad guy or jump over them or they would just not they wouldn't even deal with them. Walk by some of them and just straight up ignore them whereas when I try to play the game I got to beat everybody I see. That's it. I see you. You got to get beat. And they're walking right past them. They don't stress. They don't stop. They just keep moving. And you know, that's hard for us to do, some of us. Because we can't be disrespected. We're going to argue every motion. We're going to fight every battle. We're going to resist every change. Because we want to do it our way. And our way is best. And we might think so. But here's what I've noticed about that. When you stop to fight every enemy, you might win the battle, but you lose some energy. So these speedrunners prepare. And they don't fight every enemy. And you don't want to lose that energy. The Bible says in Psalm 23, verses 4 through 5, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff will comfort me. Thou preparest a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anointest my head with oil, and my cup runneth over. I don't know about y'all, but the preparing the table for me in the midst of my enemies speaks to me. You can't eat and fight. You can't eat and fight So if they prepare a table for me In the midst of my enemies I'm going to eat That's just me Thirdly Something I noticed about these speed runners Is when the enemy does Lay a hand on the runner And when the enemy does Attack the player They allow the damage To knock them forward They don't allow the damage To stop them Everything they use Is used to push the player forward 
So if the bad guy does hit him, it knocks him off that stage and into the next. Everything is used to push him forward and not backwards. Instead of sitting around complaining about getting hit, they push forward towards the end. Too many times we allow our setbacks to be our stopping points. We want to spend the rest of the time talking about something that happened years ago instead of learning from it and moving on. So I can't let the enemy stop me. I can't let the enemy hold me back. I can't sit around and talk about what the enemy did to me. If they do hit me, knocks me forward. For the Bible says, brethren, I count not myself to be apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things that are before. For I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling in God and Christ Jesus. Press, push, move forward. We cannot allow them to stop us. So that's how the runners play the game. And that's why they get paid the big bucks to do something I do in my leisure. Because they prepare. Because they don't fight every bad guy. And they allow, when they do get hit by the bad guy, they allow that to push them forward. And the last point that I noticed about the runners is that they played with victory in mind. They knew because they had prepared time and time again that when they picked up the controller to play, they were going to win. They knew because they had not, they knew because they weren't going to allow these enemies to hit them. They weren't going to allow themselves to try to fight every enemy. And when they did get hit, they were going to go forward. They knew that they were going to win. And that's what Jesus was doing with this prayer. When he was talking about the glory. He knew that even though it was the last supper, he knew that he was going to have to be whipped all night long. He knew he was going to have to wear a crown of thorns. He knew he was going to be pierced in his side. He knew he was going to have nails in his hand. And he knew he was going to be put in a borrowed tomb. But that's just the beginning of it. He also knew that he was going to rise again. With all power in his hand. He came from a a position of victory. And because he came from a position of victory. He did what he was supposed to do. And so whosoever shall believe in him. Shall not perish. But have everlasting life. In the name of the Father. In the name of the Son. And in the name of the Holy Spirit. The doors of the church are open. And we invite you to come.